Steve was talking about the importance of the Bible, and uh, he's absolutely right. And when he was sharing that, um, I began to think about uh, an incident that happened to me about, must be going back about five or six years ago. I was in Manchester. Um, a Scottish friend of mine had uh, given me the, the, the loan of his sat-nav. I was in a certain hotel, and I had to make my way to a, a particular church. And quite recently, um, the, a, a lot of the streets had become one-way streets, and so we, we got, my wife was with me, and we got in the car, and this sat-nav was just taking us all over the place, and eventually we, we ended up where we began. And so we, we, we went off again, and we found ourselves in a terrible picket, a pickle, a pickle, turn right, and then turn immediately right. And we were faced with a dilemma because to the right, there was a, a railway line going down, which seemed like a road. And I said, well, I've seen that in, in, in Sheffield. And then to the, I said to him, where do we go? Where do we go? He says, I don't know. So I went right where the railway line was. And before I knew it, I was passing this platform <laughs> and this guy was looking down at us honestly it was it was like something out of a um, Peter Sellers movie honestly and I said I'm bound to get a fine for this and I was but, but I was thinking about it afterwards they, they, they must have they must have had such a laugh that they thought it wasn't worth finding this guy because we we've had such a laugh at this guy doing this but the reason why I tell you that is because the the, the Bible is a, is a sat-nav, and it will never send us in the wrong direction. Never send us in the wrong direction. You can, you can trust your Bible. Uh, you may not be able to trust sat-navs all the time, because sometimes they send us in the wrong direction, but you can always trust um, God's Word. Speaking of which, maybe we could turn to it now. Um, two people asked me, what are you speaking on? Before the service started, I didn't know whether I should have told them or not, but I did. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 6. Is my um, timekeeper there as well? Um, yes, Colin, you know, if I go over 30 minutes, just yell at me or throw something at me or, or what. Very familiar words. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. God's blessing be upon uh, his word this morning. Quite a number of years ago in a baptismal service at All Souls Church, in Langham Place, London, the church where John Stott was a minister of for quite a number of years. A journalist by profession got before the congregation and began to tell his testimony at this baptismal service. And he said this, for many years I, I live for another kingdom. 
But today, tonight, I want to tell this congregation that I am changing my allegiance. I am going to serve another kind of kingdom, and I give my allegiance to a greater king, Jesus Christ. And I was just struck by those words, those five words, a different kind of kingdom. God's kingdom is different to all other kingdoms that you want to think of. of. For instance, it's, it's spiritual in its nature. If you go to a, an atlas or a map of the world, you can't highlight one particular part of it and say, now this is where God's kingdom is, because it is spiritual in its nature. God's kingdom is wherever he reigns within the hearts and lives of people. So God's kingdom is here this morning. And not only is it spiritual in its its nature, but it's also universal in its membership. It has got people from everywhere there. There's English people in this kingdom. Did you know that? There, there is Swedish people in this kingdom. There, there is Irish people in this kingdom. Speaking of which, could we just bow our heads for the Irish rugby team now? Pray that God might give them a mighty victory over the English. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody on their knees. Come on now. Now we're going to we're going to pray for Ireland. I'm not I usually don't follow rugby, but the Six Nations I suppose does grab your attention uh a, a little bit, so I I I I follow it for that reason. But it's but it's universal in this membership. And then it is eternal in its duration. It's going to it's a different kind of a kingdom. I remember reading from Luke's gospel, and this verse of scripture has always impressed me. Mary uh, was visited by the angel, and the angel said, uh, uh, that which is conceived in your womb is going to be the son of the Most High, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know, the, the world has known kingdoms that have come and kingdoms that have gone, whether it's the Roman Empire or the Greek Empire or the British Empire. They come and they go, but of his kingdom there shall be no end. He's going to reign forever. I, I, I like the story. How many like Handel's Messiah? especially the hallelujah chorus. And he shall reign forever. All together now. And he shall reign. Yeah, you know what? There was, I read about one king. When, when it was premiered, when Handel's Messiah was premiered in, in England in 1743, there might have been one or two people there at that premiere. I, I, I don't know. But during the hallelujah chorus, King George II or the third. He stood during the hallelujah course when they came to the part, and he shall reign forever. And to this day, people don't know if the reason why he stood was because he had a bit of cramp, or did he just recognize that there was a king who was greater than he? I'd like to think it was that reason. And he stood in the presence of the king of kings and the Lord. It's a different kind of kingdom, friends. It's spiritual in its nation, nature. It's, it's universal in its membership. It, it's eternal in its duration. But, but what does it mean when we pray? Your kingdom come. 
Our Father in heaven. This is what you need to pray, Jesus. And he, he places the emphasis upon priorities, and our priorities must always be first God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then once we concentrate on God, we can come to ourselves and we can pray for our daily bread and forgiveness and that God will not lead us into temptation. But when I pray this prayer, it, it causes me to look in three directions, three different directions. First of all, when I pray your kingdom come, it makes me look inwardly at my own life. You see, when you pray this, your kingdom come, it's, it's not just talking about the sweet by and by when I, when I die, as it were, and when Jesus comes, although it, it includes that. But friends, it, it goes much deeper, and it is more significant. When you're praying your kingdom come, you're, you're actually saying, I, I, I want the reign and the rule of Jesus to come into my life now. I want him to be king of my life now. I want to do what he tells me now, not just in the sweet by and by when I die. So when you pray your kingdom come, you're saying, I want to submit myself to the lordship and to the kingship of Jesus Christ and, and, and do what he says. Now, if you are subjects of a kingdom, what do you need to do? You've got to obey the king, haven't you? You submit yourself to the authority of the king. You see, I, I battle, I still, how many here still battle with self? Yeah, yeah. How many here still battle with, I want this? Oh, such, a, such an honest congregation, you really are like, yeah, we, we battle with that, don't we? It's, it's, what, it's what we want. And I, I just think that sometimes we, we say, oh, yes, Jesus is our king, but I'm the prime minister, and I'm still going to do what I want to do. Yeah, I, I can see you smiling at me because you're identifying with what I'm talking about, because we all battle with this, don't we? What we want as opposed to what King Jesus wants. And sometimes we treat Jesus like a king who has no authority. And we need to remember that Jesus is not only our Savior, but he's our Lord. What does Peter say in 2 Peter chapter 3? He says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when you pray your kingdom come, you're, you're really saying, it makes you look within and it makes you say, Am I submitting myself to the will of the king? Incidentally, I'm inclined to believe that the reason why this, the second petition, or the third petition, there is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when you are submitting to the king, then the will of God is being done. I don't have, although... The way I'm introduced sometimes in this church, you think I was had a lot of claims to fame, but I don't have that many, really. 
But I do have a claim to fame. I don't know if you ever heard of an author by the name of Alan Redpath. He was quite significant uh, back in the 70s and, 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 and 80s. And at the time when Billy Graham came over for um, Mission England, I think it was called at that time, I, I remember uh, we went to Aston Villa Football Stadium, and there was Billy Graham, and wow, what, what great messages he, he preached. But when I, when I was doing the counseling on the, the football pitch, I happened to bump into Alan Redpath, and I told him how much I appreciated his uh, writings. Once again, my only claim to fame, but never, never mind. But I came across this quote by Alan Redpath that has always impressed me. And it's always made me feel a bit guilty. And he said this. He says, I, I want to emphasize that Christian people cannot afford to play with the false doctrine that you may have a savior without having a king. Jesus Christ does not come into your life on the basis of democracy. He comes on the basis, listen to this, of dictatorship or he will not come at all. That is not to say that he is a despot. It is just to say that he comes to rule our lives. It does not mean that he comes to rule our lives with an iron rod, but Jesus Christ demands the right of kingship so that in the setting up of his kingdom he may destroy in me the kingdom of flesh and sin. And I can't read that quote without saying Wow, he's king. So when you acknowledge that Jesus is the king, you do the will of the king. He's not just your savior, he's your Lord. Um, always had great uh, admiration for um, Abraham Lincoln and always read, I've read a few books on his life, etc. I, I stood at his grave in Springfield, Illinois, many years ago. I read some of his speeches, and I said, if this guy wasn't a Christian, he was pretty close to being a Christian, I'll tell you that, because some of the things he said were significant. But during the American Civil War, which was probably the darkest period in um, American history, um, the North was fighting against the South, and Southern generals wanted to see uh, Lincoln to try to come to some kind of compromise and they, they met together and the southern general said to Lincoln now give us this state here and this state there and then we'll call it quits and he said no I cannot do that this this government will not do that another while went past and he met with the southern generals again and they said well look we don't want this area here but give it give us this area here and give us this area there and then it's okay we'll call it quits the, the war will come to an and then and Lincoln with his big hand put put it upon the map and he says gentlemen this government wants it all and Jesus King Jesus comes to our lives and he, he, he puts his hand upon the, the map of our lives and he says, I want some of it. You think he says that? No. No, he says, I want it all. I want to reign in every area of your life. I want to reign, I want to reign in your marriage. I want to reign in your attitudes. 
I want to reign in your workplace. I want to, I want to reign in your relationships. I want, I want to reign. I, I just, I, I want you to do my will. And, and if you want to know what the will of God is for your life, like Steve said, read your Bible. Read your Bible and you'll find out what the will of God is for you. Your kingdom come. So when you pray this prayer, your kingdom come, it makes you look inwardly at your own life. And then secondly, it, it does something else. It, not only does it make you look inwardly at your life, but it also causes you to look outwardly. I wish I could keep that to my lips. Outwardly <laughs> on this world. Hey, we want, we want the kingdom of God to come to Chesterfield. When I, was, when I was still able to do it, walking down from my house in Wingerworth down to the spar to get, to get my, my paper, I can't do it now because of circumstances, but all the time as I viewed uh, Chesterfield, I'd, I'd put my hand up and I'd say, Lord, may your kingdom come. Incidentally, the kingdom of God was one of the favorite subjects of, of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God. He talked about the kingdom more than he talked about any other thing, about the reign of, of God. Incidentally, the word kingdom, it is used something like 160 times in the New Testament. And maybe, maybe a better translation would be reign as opposed to kingdom. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the reign of Jesus, him reigning within our lives. But I put my hand out and I put it over Chesterville and I said, Lord, will your kingdom come to this place? Will your kingdom come where you've, where you've brought me? Your kingdom, the reign, the reign of Jesus. It's, so when you pray this prayer, you, it not only makes you look within, but it makes you look around at a world who as yet do not acknowledge that Jesus is king. Hey, Someday they will. I believe that. But at the moment, the vast majority of people do not acknowledge that Jesus is king. And when you're praying this prayer, well, let me just read to you a verse of scripture in Colossians. This is what happens when you become a Christian. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's how dramatic conversion is, friends. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness or Satan and he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. So when you pray your kingdom come, you're asking that Jesus will take people who at this present time are in one kingdom and bring them into his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Um, when we had the, um, our, our Monday morning, or rather our Saturday morning get-togethers uh, a while ago, we were going through the, the scriptures. Um, I, I, I told the folks the story about uh, Lord Hailsham. That might not be a name that rings with anybody, but he used to be the Lord Chancellor. And, and one day he was in the House of Commons, and um, he was on his way to a function, and he, he, he was dressed almost like, like royalty, really. He had all his robes and his things on his head, and he was making his way through uh, the, the, the Houses of Parliament, 
and uh, towards him were coming a, a, a group of tourists. And he was making his way towards these tourists there, and he was making his way towards them. He wasn't, it wasn't to them that they, he was going to see. But directly behind these tours, tourists was the, the, the leader of the opposition, Neil Kinnock. And Lord Helsham yelled out to, to Neil Kinnock, Neil! And all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden these tourists... <laughs> Got down and, uh, and Neil, you know, it's so funny. It, it was bound to happen, you know. I think, God bless them, I think it was some American tourists, but you know. But <laughs> help me up, Richard, will you? <laughs> oh, Dennis, you know. This getting older is not agreeing with me, really not. No. Had a cataract operation about five weeks ago and had that one in 2014. Hey, but that's, that's it. Uh, the outward man is perishing, we know that, but Paul says the inward one is growing stronger. Day by day. I was speaking to somebody else this morning who had a cataract operation. Who was it? I, I, it was, yeah, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's dramatic. Once was blind, but now I see. Absolutely amazing. But hey, I'm digressing. But when you pray, when you pray, your kingdom come, you're, you're, you're asking that, that people will bow the knee to Jesus and just acknowledge that he is king that he is king. Jesus, in one of the parables, Matthew 13, he said that at first the kingdom of God, it was small. It was just the, the, the size of a mustard seed. But it, it has grown over the centuries and, and over the millenniums. And, and now the, the mustard seed, the kingdom, it has grown more and more. The, ki the kingdom came to, to Zacchaeus in Luke 19 when, when he was up in that tree and Jesus said, Come down, Zacchaeus. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to your house for tea today. The kingdom came in Zacchaeus's life. The kingdom came in Acts 16 when uh, a business lady in, in the rag trade, uh, the Lord opened her heart and, and, and she responded. The kingdom came. The kingdom came on the day of Pentecost when, when 3,000 people responded to the message of the kingdom. The kingdom came to the Philippine jailer. The kingdom came to the Ethiopian eunuch. The kingdom came. Oh, I'm glad for that day when the kingdom came to me. What about you? When you acknowledge and began to realize that Jesus was king. But for all these people who I've made mention of, all of them heard the message of the kingdom. And friends, it's our responsibility to take the message of the kingdom. Incidentally, just because we pray this prayer, it doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing. No, we have got a responsibility to see the kingdom come to Chesterfield. In incidentally, I would say with all the requests in the Lord's Prayer, you've got to do something about it. You can't pray, hallowed be your name, if you're not living a life that is hallowing the name of God. You can't pray your kingdom come if you're not doing something about seeing the kingdom of God come. You can't even pray, give us this day our daily bread, if you're not prepared to go out and do a bit of work and, and bring the bread in. <laughs> it requires action. Anybody here ever been to Israel? Hands up, you've been to Israel. No, I see those hands, yeah. Did you get to the Sea of Galilee? Did you get to the Dead Sea? No, okay, well. In, in, in Israel, Sea of Galilee. What are you up to? All right. 
You're trying to get me off my stride or something? Well, I know. <laughs> the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Now, they're both landlocked bodies of water, the Sea of Galilee. I, I, I was on a boat trip there. Um, somebody said it's, it's, it's no wonder that Jesus walked on the water because it's very expensive to get a boat ride on the, on the Sea of Galilee. But that's by, that's, by the, that's by the way, okay, that's by the way. But, you know, when I was on that boat going across the Sea of Galilee, I said, wow, Jesus actually walked on this water. Wow. So there's the, there's the Sea of Galilee, and there is the Dead Sea. But there is, a, there is a big difference. The Sea of Galilee has an inlet and an outlet. And because of that, it just teems with life. But the Dead Sea, once again, it has, it has an inlet, but it does not have an outlet. And when the water comes in, it, it evaporates and because there is no outlet. As one person said, the Sea of Galilee is full of flow and the Dead Sea is full of woe. If you like poetry. <laughs> and it really is dead. I remember floating on it. And believe me, if you've, got a, if you've got a cut in your body anywhere, you know all about it. And I had a certain cut in a certain part of my body, and I'll tell you, I knew all about it, right? Oh, it's, I, I wanted to get out in a hurry. <laughs> but it's, it's called dead because no life. Because it doesn't have an outlet. Do you know how to make a church dead? Do you know how to make a church a Dead Sea church? Let it stop having an outlet in evangelism, seeing the kingdom of God, an outflow. When a church does not have an outflow, only has an inflow, when it doesn't have an outflow in evangelism, it's not going to be very long before, well, it'll become a dead church. And that's what's happened to so many churches over the years. Your kingdom come. It makes us look inwardly at our own lives, it makes us look outwardly on a, on a world that as yet has not bowed the, the knee. But then in, in conclusion, and I'm, 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 almost, I'm almost there, it also makes us look uh, upwardly for the return of Jesus. Hey, do you still believe that Jesus is coming back again someday? Wow. I'm preaching to the converted, am I? <laughs> wow. Do you know what the last prayer of the Bible is? And, you know, I can't think of too many Christians would even want to pray this. But the last prayer of the Bible is this. Come, Lord Jesus. The very last prayer, Revelation chapter 22. Come, Lord Jesus. Can we, in all honesty, get before God today and say, Lord, we want you to come. I, ha I have to admit, sometimes I get tired of this world, and sometimes I just say, oh, Jesus, I would just love it if you would come. You know? But then you think about the people who are not in the kingdom as yet, don't you? Because you want them to acknowledge Jesus as king now before they will have to acknowledge him as king someday. But, you know, and the, one of the watchwords of the, of the early church was Maranatha. 1 Corinthians 16. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Now, I'll, I'll admit to you that there is an, an awful lot of things about the second coming of Jesus 
that I don't understand, and there's probably other people much better qualified. Some people have got it down to a T. They know when Jesus is coming. They know when the church is going to be taken out of this world, before the tribulation, or during the tribulation, or after the tribulation. Some people have got it all worked out, and I stand in amazement at their ability to do that. Friends, I want to tell you, as regards the second coming of Jesus, there's a lot of things I'm still very agnostic about. But one thing I do know is this, that he's coming, <laughs> that he's going to come, and he's going to set up his eternal kingdom. And I know this from, what, from my reading of the Bible, that he's going to come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. That's how he's going to come, unexpectedly. When somebody burgles your home, they don't usually put notification in the post. I'm going to come and burgle your home tomorrow night at midnight. They usually don't do that, I don't think. I, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Jesus will come as a thief in the night. You just don't know when he's going to come. He's going to come suddenly. He's going to come visibly. I believe I'm visibly going to see Jesus. He's going to, and when he comes, he's going to set up his eternal kingdom. And then... This prayer will be fully answered. Your kingdom will come because the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. I sent a message to um, South Africa this morning because I've got a brother-in-law there. Uh, it's his birthday today, so I sent him a message, and I've got a story about South Africa. Incidentally, they're talking about South Africa joining the Six Nations things as well, aren't they? How that will work, I don't know. But we can, be, we can rest assured Ireland and England will never win it again if that is the case, but never mind. This is a true story. Let me just read it to you. On Sunday, on Sunday the 25th of July, 1993, uh, 1,000 people were gathered at St. James Church, Cape Town. A hooded man burst into the church and began to fire his gun, while others threw hand grenades. Eleven people were killed and many injured. The leaders of the church made the following statement. While as Christians we must live in this fallen world, we do so knowing that at the end there is a new world coming when Jesus will be acknowledged to be king. We seek no revenge or harbor bitterness, but we leave justice in the hands of the Almighty, who has appointed a day when all will give an account of their actions. No bitterness there, no hatred. Just said we have no bitterness, but we leave justice into the hands of Almighty God, when Jesus will be acknowledged to be king. Oh, I would love it, friends, if you would just acknowledge Jesus king now. If you would just bow, if you've never done it, if you would just bow the knee to King Jesus now. Because, friends, if we, if we don't do it now, someday we will do it. All the world, every knee will bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And how do, you, how do you get into this kingdom? Well, a very religious man 
came to uh, Jesus on, on, on one night. Incidentally, it's, it's, it's very interesting. In, in, in chapter 3, a very religious man came to Jesus, and then, and then in chapter 4, he, he dealt with a very ir irreligious lady, the woman of Samaria. Uh, the, the biggest woman in the Bible, incidentally, the woman of some area. But never mind. Okay. <laughs> it's the way I tell him. I know it is. <laughs> but he said to this religious man, I said, are you a teacher in Israel, but yet you don't know this? And he said this. He said, Un unless you're born again, you cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven. So it starts with a new birth. That's how you get into the kingdom of heaven. And the journey begins. I've got just, when I was, had written all my thoughts down, and I remember there was a book on my bookshelf by uh, an American author by the name of um, Max Lucado, a, a great devotional writer. And I said, now, didn't you do something on the Lord's Prayer? And I, I went to it, and I came across this quote from Max Lucado. And with this, I finish. When you say, thy kingdom come, you are inviting the Messiah to walk into your world. Come, my king. Take your throne in our land. Be present in my heart. Be present in my office. Come into my marriage. Be Lord of my family, my fears, and my doubts. This is no feeble request. It's a bold appeal for God to occupy every corner of your life. And I said, wow. It's no feeble request. It's a bold appeal for God to occupy every corner of your life. And so as I, as I wind up, I would just challenge you today to allow King Jesus to come into every corner of your life and let his will be done in your life. Your kingdom come. Laura bless you.